Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Podcast on Radio Free Nashville 107.1 and 103.7, streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. My name is Jim Wolgamuth, and I'm here with fellow Vietnam veteran Harvey Bennett. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Just go to VeteransforPeace.org. This show is on stations across the country, thanks to the Pacifica Radio Network. We are also on SoundCloud, Anchor Podcast, Spotify, and on your phone podcast app. Just search Veterans for Peace. The Veterans for Peace Radio Hour and Radio Free Nashville are supported in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. Okay, so today as we continue to celebrate and honor Black History Month, Harvey and I are basically going to turn the show over to our two guests. Timothy Hughes is a community organizer working at the intersection of public policy and social justice. Elijah Whiteside is a 19-year-old college freshman and activist with Black Lives Matter in Charleston, South Carolina. Both have been on the show before, and so welcome back. They are going to be talking issues with regards to activism and civil rights within the backdrop of Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. After Harvey gives a quick setup on why Dr. King was in jail, Timothy and Elijah will then take charge, linking the past to the present. King came to Birmingham, spoke to black citizens about the philosophy of nonviolence and its methods, and extended appeals for volunteers at the end of each meeting. The number of volunteers increasing daily, actions soon expanded to kneel-ins at churches, sit-ins at the library, and a march on the county building to register voters. Hundreds were arrested. On April 10th, city government obtained a state circuit court injunction against the protests. After heavy debate, campaign leaders decided to disobey the court order. King declared, we cannot in all good conscience obey such an injunction which is unjust, undemocratic, and unconstitutional misuse of the legal process. Plans to continue to submit to arrest were threatened, however, because the money available for bonds was depleted. So leaders could no longer guarantee that arrested protesters would be released. King concluded that he must risk going to jail in Birmingham. He told his colleagues, I don't know what will happen. I don't know where the money will come from, but I have to make a faith act. And lo and behold, he ended up in jail. While in jail, Dr. King wrote the letter, which was his response to a public statement issued by a group of eight uh, fairly high-ranking clergy in the state of Alabama uh, and they were white clergy, and they were rather critical of the uh, demonstrations. And so <clears throat> Dr. King felt like he had to respond to this. So that's what resulted in the letter from a Birmingham jail. Okay, now here's Timothy. I'm looking forward to us having some conversation about what your experience is like in the current movement. Um, okay. uh, in full disclosure, I most recently have been building power with a group called Black Voters Matter. And so okay. a lot of the work that we center is around voter registration and mobilization and education. So I'm really, really excited to learn about what your experience has been like being a part of Black Lives Matter and being connected to the movement. And we're going to talk a little bit about like King's letter from a Birmingham jail 
the ways in which the examples of folks like King were an inspiration to the originators and the progenitors of the Black Lives Matter movement and how there are elements and uh, in, in some ways that are very, very similar with kind of like the way that the media uh, was talking about King at the time and the very critical ways in which uh, he laid the groundwork for um, nonviolent civil disobedience and how Black Lives Matter is in many ways the continuation of that, um, that element of King's work, um, the, the, the ways in which we build organizing, the ways in which we work together to promote uh, nonviolent direct action and accountability. Uh, King also spoke about the ways in which law enforcement was used as a tool for white supremacy. So we can talk a little bit about those things together. Um, but I'm just super uh, excited to be talking with you. And I want you to kind of um, uh, lead the conversation in whatever direction you'd like it to go. Uh, because I believe, and I think King believed it as well, that it's young people's voices that really have to be centered in movement spaces and work because it is the energy of the young people who su that sustains movement. And it's the direction and leadership of young people. Uh, even in the 1960s, in that era, it was high schoolers and college students who led the boycotts and were uh, involved in the sit-ins and oftentimes took the blows from um, mm -hmm. uh, representatives of white supremacy and law enforcement at the time who were attacking them with police dogs and all those things. So I'm uh, really excited to be uh, joined today by you, Elijah Whitesides, and to get your perspective and background uh, not only about this, this particular letter from a Birmingham jail or even just about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, we are on the occasion, of course, of I think we're now six days into Black History Month. And so a lot of these conversations happen on an annual basis. We talk about uh, social movement. We talk about the civil rights movement in particular. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. has become this very uh, uh, lionized figure. Um, but I think it's important for us as we have this conversation uh, to situate it the way that Harvey uh, did earlier in his discussion of what was going on in the moment uh, when King was arrested um, and, and his involvement in the Montgomery bus boycott came to uh, this, this moment in history. And I think it's important for two reasons. Number one, uh, because uh, in many ways, King has become a lionized figure. Uh, we're in 2022 now, we have the benefit of some 70 years almost of history. Uh, we can look back at this experience, look back at what led to uh, the moments uh, for the, uh, the, the civil rights, the modern civil rights movement, its uprisings, uh, and we can look at it through historical lenses. But in the moment itself, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and many of his contemporaries were extremely unpopular. As a matter of fact, there were polls that were taken where Dr. King was considered one of the most hated people in America. He was a very, very controversial figure. And so uh, what I think I would love for you to do, um, Mr. Whitesides, as you are talking about and introducing yourself to the audience, can you talk a little bit about the ways in which um, your experience as someone who has been involved with social movement, um, how you deal with and weather some of the very, very searing criticism that I'm sure you experience from time to time in your uh, work as an organizer and just as a young person in general, trying to be engaged uh, civically, trying to give voice to the concerns and challenges of people of your age range and in your generation. 
Could you talk a little bit about what you do and how it is that you cope with the, the, the enormous pressure and stress and scrutiny that you can often be under? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name is Elijah Whiteside, obviously. Uh, I got my first, uh, really sorry, like my first introduction to activism um, during the summer of 2020, right? So um, I had already kind of been like aware of some of the issues going on and like had, had some of my own personal experience, uh, experiences, you know, just throughout life already. Um, that kind of just like shaped my perspective of the world. And I don't know, just like the way I saw like relations between like the community and the state, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so obviously by the time that May came around and George Floyd died, um, you know, just like everybody else, I was just like caught out, caught out to the streets, you know what I mean? Um, and initially, like, I just wanted to document it. Um, I've always kind of been into filmmaking and, you know, I, I think like it's really be a beautiful, like median, um, like a visual median, you know, to tell, uh, you know, a really beautiful story of like the voices that have gone unheard for far too long, you know what I'm saying? Um, and I think in a time like that, like you just see, historically you saw a trend where like, you know, um, like in terms of the mainstream media, uh, black activists and black organizations are like, uh, tend to be demonized, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so there's always kind of a, a tainted perspective in terms of like what we actually do. So I always thought it was like important to get out there um, and get what was actually going on, you know? Um, that was kind of like how I first got my, uh, like, I don't know, like went to my first few protests and like from there, uh, met some organizers, got involved, um, <clears throat> and yeah, like really just kept it going. But like for us, it was just like it was more than protesting because we kind of understood that I was just like one percent of the of the conversation. You know what I mean? Like um, that really just started the conversation, but really needed a lot of like um, really like on the ground boot work in our communities. You know, uh, to start mobilizing stuff um, to really make things happen for the people that we say that we were advocating for on the streets. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but obviously, like, you know, uh, I think there was, like, a time period between, like, May to August where, um, in terms of, like, the, the media, you know, there was, like, a pretty positive light, uh, I would say, generally, um, in terms of the movement and, um, I don't know, I would say, like, our intentions and, like, what we were trying to do. Um, but then, you know, obviously, like, I would say, like, uh, going into September forward on, you know, like, that kind of, um, like, perspective that was projected kind of like dissipated um and obviously like there started to be more like critical lenses um put on the movement and I think like you obviously, you obviously see that trend extremely as well um you know but and then like and so like around that time uh that's when I really started to like get a lot of uh criticism from my peers and so so forth so on you know um but like you know I think it's really important to always just know that like uh uh like I don't know like always like root yourself in like your purpose and like what you're doing this for. You know what I mean? Like remind yourself that like of the communities that you're doing this for and like the, uh, like in the people that you have like dedicated um, your life to serving, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I think at the end of the day, like as long as like you're serving your soul, you know what I mean? And like your soul feels uh, fulfilled in like what you're doing. Um, and I think that like, obviously there's a big message like, yeah, like you're getting criticism that's whatever but like honestly like that's a part of it like you that you kind of have to go into that expecting that you know what I mean because honestly like let's like have a real conversation you know like what's the point of like preaching the message to people who like already believe the same thing that you do you know what I mean right. um you know so obviously like if we're gonna make like actual like progress you know like that that, that means you know having real conversations with uh, people on the other side of the, of the table you know so 
Yeah. I, I so appreciate that that um, that contextualization. I think that um, a lot of what you've described is very, very uh, prescient and I think in, in many ways relates to um, the ongoing conversations that we're having in a few different contexts. Uh, on the one hand, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on the on the side of right, as you described earlier, just uh, wanting to be heard, wanting the needs and the concerns of the community to be centered, uh, but being vilified in some ways by uh, by folks who believe that his tactics maybe are a little bit too aggressive or that he's demanding too much too soon. And so he gives voice to his concerns about why it is that we can't simply wait for there to be saviors and, and why it is that it's necessary to engage in that kind of civil disobedience. And, and there's a particular element within the letter to a Birmingham jail where he's responding to some of the um, white establishment who are a part of the clergy and maybe a part of some of these institutions and structures, calling them out for um, uh, the ways in which they have vilified uh, the movement and, and saying why it is that it's necessary for folks to take action and take to the streets in much the same way that, uh, that has that's been said by uh, a number of folks within uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's very interesting because uh, in some ways you can hear some of the same sort of moderate elements or, or, um, or, or timid elements within the, uh, the, the community or the society, the larger uh, white establishment who are saying, hey, well, you're, 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 you're do if you would simply be a little bit more quiet and not be so confrontational, maybe things would be a little bit different. We had the same rhetoric about Black Lives Matter and oh, well, if, if Black Lives Matter would simply conduct themselves uh, in the way that Dr. King did, he was very peaceful and, and very, you know, and very uh, calm, and and he he didn't he didn't aggressively push back against these systems, and so we have to we have to revisit the history of who King actually was. And so, in his own words, he he talks a little bit about direct action, and I'll, I'll read just a little bit uh, from from the letter right now. Uh, he says to to some of these white clergy, "Why direct action? Why sit-ins, marches, and so forth? Isn't negotiation a better path?" You are quite right in calling for negotiation, he says. Indeed, this is, a, is the very purpose of direct action. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks so to, to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. My citing the creation of tension as part of the work of the nonviolent resistor may sound rather shocking, but I must confess that I am not afraid of the word tension. I have earnestly opposed violent tension, but there is a type of constructive nonviolent tension which is necessary for growth. Just as Socrates felt it was necessary to create tension in the mind so that individuals could rise from the bondage of myths and have truths to the unfettered realm of creative analysis and objective appraisal, so must we see the need for nonviolent, unfettered realism, I'm sorry, nonviolent gadfiles, flies, excuse me, to create the kind of tension in society that will help men rise from the dark depths of prejudice and racism to the majestic heights of understanding and brotherhood. The purpose of our direct action program is to create a situation so crisis packed that it will inevitably open the door to negotiation. I therefore concur with you in your call for negotiation. Too long has our beloved Southland been bogged down in a tragic effort to live in monologue rather than in dialogue. 
And I think what is important for people to realize and to understand is how truly radical the idea of confrontation in a nonviolent way Dr. King and many of his cohorts and compatriots and, and, and comrades were in this moment because he is demanding of those who are in positions of power that they come to the table of negotiation to address the issue of segregation on the buses in Montgomery because if you are going to accept the money and the dollars from those people who are considered to be citizens of the community, are they not due to the very same protections as everyone else? In many ways, articulating much of the same criticism that is levied against the issue, uh, uh, the individuals who say that law enforcement simply should not be called to task with regard to the ways in which law enforcement agencies and individuals advocating on behalf of the state are conducting their business and treating the lives of people of color, particularly black folks uh, uh, in community. And so, uh, so King is laying out the same argument 60, 70 years ago that Black Lives Matter is making with regard to police accountability today. And in some ways, it seems that there are those who are attempting to muddy up and to, to muddle the discussion around whether or not King and, and, and BLM would have been on the same side of many of these issues. Could you talk a little bit about um, the ways in which in your perspective or from your view, there, are, there, there seems to be uh, uh, this groundswell an effort to try to rewrite the historical narrative, both about Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, and in some ways in the current history, the story of the Black Lives Matter movement, whether or not things like, and messaging like uh, defund the police or criticisms of law enforcement and accountability are valid or legitimate because the concern is about tactics. Blocking traffic is dangerous. And so, uh, so maybe if you were simply uh, more courteous, to those folks who are, are coming out in opposition, uh, maybe you would be be heard a little bit more easily. Could you talk a little bit about those attempts at rewriting history? Um, <clears throat> that's a good question. Uh, I mean, first of all, I think the attempts to rewrite history is, you know, absolutely disrespectful to the legacy of King, um, and obviously, like all of our ancestors that have come before. Um, truly. Uh, I, I think honestly, like King was a very like radical figure, you know what I mean? Who understood that like, not only like do black people deserve like civil rights, but like we also need like economic rights as well. You know what I mean? And he was like very big on that. Um, and like, obviously, like, like you said, like he was a very like, you know, criticized figure. And I think like what a lot of people don't really talk about is that like, you know, uh, last year of his life or like, you know, and, like true, like his mental health state, like, you know, during that last year of his life, you know what I mean? Um, like, you know, because like he did, uh, you know, go out there and take like, quote unquote, radical stands as, as in terms like, you know, uh, we don't need like black men out there like in, in Vietnam, you know what I mean? Because that's like, uh, you know, like uh, beating the point in so many different ways, you know, um, you know, and also like he lost a lot of support, like a support from like the, like the whole, like black community from that, you know, like, and simultaneously, you know, like you had like, you know, uh, operations um, like that were pursued by the FBI, um, like, you know, like COINTELPRO. You know what I mean? Uh, that would like, you know, pretty much be sending him like these letters like that were, uh, you know, like framed as like his supporters that could pretty much tell him to like kill himself, you know, because they uh, like, you know, like they knew about like his extramarital affairs and et cetera, so forth. And, uh, you know, like how could like he betray that community like that, you know? So um, like truly, I think if anything, like it's, um, 
it's an attempt like always like with, with like, what I think what the larger structures of powers of ours try to do, which is like, you know, control the narrative and like um, control in the OA and control in the OA because I think that like contributes to their own like, uh, you know, um, definition of power that they like, you know, want to hold on to. So um, I think that's such a that's such a critically important point. And I and I and I want to to relate back what something that you just said about the ways in which psychological warfare are often deployed. Uh, and efforts are made to try to uh, undermine and destabilize movements through things like COINTELPRO. Uh, and I think that that's such a critically important point. You talk about, and, and at the heart of, I think, a lot of the, the perspective that you just shared is the idea that there are some laws that are really deemed, uh, that while they are, they are enacted by the state, they are in many ways immoral. And so King talks a little bit about just what you were describing uh, as he, he juxtaposes the ways in which laws are interpreted and the ways in which sometimes those who are opposing the tactics of those who are pushing back against segregation laws do so. Uh, it says here, uh, an unjust law is a human law that is not rooted in eternal law and natural law. Any law that uplifts human personality is just. Any law that denigrates human personality is unjust. All segregation statutes are unjust because segregation distorts the soul and damages the personality. It gives the segregator a false sense of superiority and the segregated a false sense of inferiority. It gives the segregator, I'm sorry, excuse me, segregation to use the terminology of Jewish philosopher Martin Berber, substitutes an I-it relationship for an I-thou relationship and ends up relegating persons to the status of things. Hence, segregation is not only politically, economically, and sociologically unsound, it is morally wrong and sinful. Paul Tillich has said that sin is separation. In not segregation, I'm sorry, in not, in, in, is, is not segregation an existential expression of man's tragic separation, his awful estrangement, his terrible sinfulness. Thus, it is that I can urge men to obey the 1954 decision of the Supreme Court for it's morally right, for it is morally right. And I can urge them to disobey segregation ordinances for they are morally wrong. And so in many ways, um, the, the BLM movement and its cohorts and compatriots are pushing back against these laws around uh, uh, assembly, laws around blocking of, uh, of, of passageways or movement ways in an effort to try to make statements about the need for there to be a focus on the protection and the sanctity of human life, particularly black life, and the accountability of law enforcement officers who are representative uh, of the state and are supposed to be the beneficiaries or the, those who are entrusted with, uh, with, with safeguarding and protecting and enforcing the law. But even King says, sometimes a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I have been charged on a charge of parading without a permit. Now there is nothing wrong in having an ordinance which requires a permit for a parade, but such an ordinance becomes unjust when it is used to maintain segregation and to deny citizens the first amendment privilege of peaceable assembly and protest. I hope you are able to see the distinction I'm trying to point out, he says. In no sense do I advocate in evading or defying the law. As, uh, as, would be a rap, as would be the rabid segregationist. That would be anarchy. 
One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with the willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for the law. Of course, there is nothing new about this kind of civil disobedience. It was evidenced sublimely in the refusal of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to obey the laws of Nebuchadnezzar on the ground that a higher moral law was at stake. It was practiced superbly by the early Christians who were willing to face hungry lions and the excruciating pain of chopping blocks rather than submit to the certain unjust laws of the Roman Empire. To a degree, academic freedom is a reality today because Socrates practiced civil disobedience. In our nation, the Boston Tea Party represented a massive act of civil disobedience. And so King here is drawing the connection between the historical moment in which he found himself uh, and the historical moments of both uh, the Christian histories that these, uh, these clergy people were no doubt uh, familiar with in the, in the great academicians uh, of Socrates and others who had laid the foundation of what nonviolent civil disobedience was becoming in that moment and still is in many ways today uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement. I think I, what I'd love to be able to ask you now is, and, and you gave kind of um, some, some comments about it a little bit earlier. Can you talk a little bit about your experience in, in getting involved in the movement? What contributed to you getting connected in the way that you have thus far? And what keeps you going in those moments when you, like King, are dealing with, in some ways, an existential crisis where you recognize that you're on the right side of the issue, but those who are in opposition to you seem to have the microphone, seem to have their own narrative, seem to be pushing a narrative that is untrue and is unjust, but they, in some ways, feel emboldened to do so because they're in an environment where they feel like they uh, have the power to oppose what you, you rightly consider to be uh, a sense of, of, of justice and righteousness. You are listening to a discussion between Timothy Hughes and Elijah Whitesides as they talk issues with regards to activism and civil rights within the backdrop of Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. For me, uh, with activism, you know, it, it was really involving uh, organizing a lot. So we were planning a lot of protests, right? Uh, we were planning a lot of community events. So um things like you know like car washes or like to do fundraisers and that was like a way for me to get uh the local like youth community involved because um you know at, at the time that was like you know at the, at the start of the pandemic so um there was like kind of an issue with some kids being able to come out and actually contribute uh in ways that they actually like you know um wanted to like because they believed in the movement um and like you know wanted to see change but didn't necessarily know like uh like how to get out there because you know other parents said it was too dangerous to go protest or like you know uh uh, coronavirus, you know, so that was a good way for them to get involved, you know, um, we did uh, like plenty of clothing drives, um, community drives, uh, we were able to open up um, an internet cafe uh, in the east side, um, which is like a local black community in the downtown, you know, which was a, a great way um, uh, for the kids in the area who at the time, like, you know, because uh, a lot of the schools were going virtual, um, and like, you know, and you have to imagine like a lot of these kids, uh, like, you know, whose moms are like, are gone like most of the days, you know, um, and in some houses, like they don't have access to Wi-Fi. So like during this time period that, you know, uh, kids are already struggling to like, you know, keep up virtually. Uh, there are kids who like already just uh, 
are like five steps behind just because they don't have the resources too. So that was a really great way to, um, you know, uh, provide like equitable resources or like at least attend to um, in that community. Uh, yeah, things like, you know, back to school drives, you know, um, uh, just like trying to, uh, you know, supply the community with uh, as much supplies as they need in terms of like backpacks, uh, notebooks, like all of that. Um, you know, we did like things like financial literacy classes, uh, for, like, you know, for that community, um, you know, trying to like, you know, educate them and give them some more uh, opportunities to kind of just like thrive in this like already like uh, kind of, uh, uh, I want to say suffocating like capitalist system sometimes, you know, it's very competitive. Uh, so I think that like, you know, equipping them with the tools that they need to um, in order to thrive in that, you know, it's like a really big uh, um, thing that we need to focus on. Um, yeah, so like, uh, and that was like, obviously that came with some hardships um, as well, especially on, on side of like a, a protesting. We obviously met a lot of like uh, very aggressive, like police response. Um, you know, obviously like I've been shot with like rubber bullets and tear gas and all that. Um, you know, uh, I've been like, and obviously like, you know, at the, at the start of the movement, you know, I like would go have um, kind of like conversations and like talk to like the chief police here um and whatnot like you know because i don't know like it was a little bit more of like a positive outlook a little bit more like optimistic out like optimistic outlook sorry like on the whole thing at first you know but you know two months later um like you know that, that same chief was like looking like straight in the face like telling me he was gonna like drag me in a jail cell like pretty much you know, like, you know um so yeah i don't know it's so, like you know you definitely like deal with uh <sighs> I don't know, like, you know, just like a lot of like day-to-day -day, um, like hardships, you know, like, I mean, we obviously get death threats all the time. Um, you know, like we had like a local like Ku Klux Klan that would meet like five minutes down from where I would live, you know? So um, like, we, like we would also have issues with like, like there would be people who would like come to my house and like be threatening me, um, you know, which is like kind of reason why I like, you know, step back from like doing like news interviews and et cetera and so forth. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I had, uh, like the like those same like KKK members like broke into my friend Austin's house. Um, they broke into his car. You know, um, we've like we've been followed to our cars. Like we've been like taunted with nooses. You know, we've like kind of had, um, you know, like, uh, like near death like interactions with like some like white supremacists. Like you know, just while we are um, out protesting. Like you know what I'm saying. And obviously, like you know, while we are out protesting, like the main. Um, goal is to keep everybody safe, you know? So like we already have like tactics going in um, to the day, like, you know what I mean? Uh, so in case anything suspicious comes about and trust me, like there's always something suspicious coming around, like, you know what I mean? Um, but like a safe way to handle it. So we didn't have no like tolerant house situation, you know? Because, uh, you know, like one time um, these guys who had like, you know, formally threatened me on Facebook, uh, like saying like, you know, they would like, <laughs> like just, uh, you know, tie me up and, and hog ties and toss me like in the back of a truck, you know, and dump me in the river. Um, like those same dudes, like, you know, and they lived like, I don't know, an hour, like 45 minutes out, um, you know, like showed up at the protest, like in a little like big ass, like, uh, sorry, like a big uh, white truck, you know? Um, and so like, they're just like driving around and like just staring us down like the entire time, you know? Um, and this was like a pretty crazy night. This was like, uh, I would say like late uh, September, 2020. Um, yeah. And like, they were just like parked at a point there, they were just like parked at the end of the street, just kind of like waiting for us, you know? So that was a little bit suspect uh and like you know like as we were like walking down there like the cops were so like focused on us you know like they weren't really paying attention to like everybody like anybody else so they literally like ran into this guy on a motorcycle you know like you just heard this giant crash 
and this dude like flew like across the street you know like and like broke his back like his legs were all twisted it was like disgusting you know and like they just covered him real fast you know like they uh had like a bunch of cop cars come up and cover it you know and like it, it was crazy because the next day like they on the news you know it was just like uh they like that like in the in the news articles like they had nothing to do with it you know what i mean um like totally covered up so it was just like it's crazy but like anyways like right after that had happened we're walking down and we see like that same truck you know like on the street and i'm seeing these guys at this point i'm like okay like this this probably like, can't be good so um like we like you know we have some like actually again we have tactics so like we keep everybody else like going and so like you know they won't even be whatever um and it's like and it's really like terrible to say that like we it took us going up to them for the cops to even like care to check it out like even though we had been pointing out to the police the entire time that like those people have been like threatening us on facebook formerly you know um so like obviously like, we go up and we're like officers like there's like they have guns in the cars like there's weapons in the cars they had uh two handguns like four like you know it's like ars you know um like hog ties knives ammo um like bear spray just like a bunch of like crazy like what are you going to do with that you know what i'm saying um yeah and it's, it was just like crazy to see because even if you like look that up uh like they got like a very like whitewash report in the media like you know what i mean it was just like so just seeing like the difference between like uh i don't know just like how um how, how like how much of a difference it actually is and like the projection of like our message and what like we're actually doing like in the media you know like because it really like it, it does like really like take a toll on you sometimes, you know, because like you kind of have to, like Charleston's like a very different story than say like, um, like New York City or DC or anything like that. Like when I would go to those, like, you know, um, like, I've definitely like traveled to uh, um, different areas in order like to protest and like to go to different events and whatnot, um, you know, but like I've never been like so like happy in my life just to see like, uh, you know, like a BLM flag on like every corner of the street or like, you know what right. I mean? like yeah. crowds of like hundreds you know what i mean to be like flooding the street like in solidarity you know it's like that's awesome to see but like in charleston you know um you know like you have like a group of like 20 dedicated people and then like the rest of the city it's just like they're all out to get you you know what i mean Constantly. Yeah. but like you know so um i think that like you know like getting that perspective and going to other places it really made me appreciate the work that we were doing here even more because obviously like you know this is a place that really needs it this is a and obviously Charleston, like as a city, has like a very tainted history, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a long history of very overt kind of racist and brutally violent kinds of reactions to progressive movements. And so much of what you described, I think, is in many ways indicative of what we saw, you know, even on January 6th in the aftermath of the insurrections that happened in Washington, D.C. You talked about uh, how, you know, the ways in which the media will char characterize a Black Lives Matter event or activity in a place like Charleston. Uh, and meanwhile, you have white, armed white supremacists who are there to do harm to protesters. And the news media covers that story up. It doesn't really, you know, say exactly what happened. Someone is injured and they really don't talk about that. And so, so there's a lot that happens with the way in which these narratives get formed. And it feels like some of those things are, are, are vestiges of the past and, and a re-articulation, a, re a re-expression of the same attitudes that King was dealing with, particularly when it comes from a certain group of folks who King describes as white moderates. And there's an element in the, in the letter that kind of, kind of talks a little bit about his criticism of the white moderate in the South. And I think it's really apropos for our discussion. So I'm gonna go ahead and read uh, some elements from that right now. King says here, um, I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that law and order exists for the purpose of establishing justice 
and that when they fail in this purpose, they become the dangerously structured dams that block the flow of social progress. I had hoped that the white moderate would understand that the present tension in the South is a necessary phase of transition from an obnoxiously negative place in which the Negro passively accepts his unjust plight to a, a substantive and positive peace in which all men will respect the dignity and worth of human personality. Actually, we who engage in nonviolent direct action are not the creators of tension. We merely bring to the surface the hidden tension that is already alive. We bring it out in the open where it can be seen and dealt with, like a boil that can never be cured so long as it is covered up, but must be opened with all its ugliness to the natural medicines of air and light. Injustice must be exposed with all the tension its exposure creates to the light of human conscience and the air of national opinion before it can be cured. In your statement, you assert that our actions, even though peaceful, must be condemned because they perpetuate violence, precipitate violence. But is this a logical assertion? Isn't this like condemning a robbed man because his possession of money precipitated the evil act of robbery? Isn't this like condemning Socrates because his unwavering commitment to truth and his philosophical inquiries precipitated the act of a misguided populace in which they made him drink hemlock? Isn't this like condemning Jesus because his unique God consciousness and never ceasing devotion to God will, will precipitate the act of crucifixion, the evil act of crucifixion? We must come to see that as the federal courts have consistently affirmed, it is wrong to urge an individual to cease his efforts to gain his basic constitutional rights because the quest may precipitate violence. Society must protect the robbed and punish the robber. I had also hoped that the white moderate would reject the myth concerning time in relation to the struggle for freedom. I have received, I have just received a letter from a white brother in Texas. He writes, all Christians know that the colored people will receive equal rights eventually. But is it possible that you are in too great a religious hurry? It has taken Christianity almost 2000 years to accomplish what it has. The teachings of Christ take time to come to earth. Such an attitude stems from a tragic misconception of time, from the strangely irrational notion that is that there is something in the very flow of time that will inevitably cure all ills. Actually, time itself is neutral. It could be used either destructively or constructively. More and more, I feel that the people I will have, I'm sorry, that, that the people of ill will have used time more effectively than the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the hateful words and actions of the bad people, for the, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. So in many ways, uh, BLM is a representation and many of its con con compatriots is a representation of the, the fact that a time has come. Uh, in many of the ways that we saw in the uprisings of 2020 in the aftermath of the killings of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, we saw an appetite 
for those who were in the streets demanding accountability for law enforcement and being a part of that uprising was a way for them to give voices in many ways to what King would say are the voices of the unheard, uh, those who are frustrated by the, the inequities and the injustices that have been seen for so long. And so could you talk a little bit about the state of the movement today, uh, Isaiah, and what, and what you see as sort of the burgeoning frontier? We were talking a little bit about uh, what was happening with this effort to rewrite history, the efforts to demonize critical race theory, to make it seem like those who are being impacted by the injustices of society should simply uh, um, not talk in public about those injustices and simply allow for time to move forward in the way that the white moderates of uh, King's time were criticized uh, by him for doing so. Could you talk a little bit about what you see as the next frontier for how it is that the movement can move forward? Right, um, well, first of all, I would just like to say that I think that King understood like better than anyone, um, like, you know, in, in his words and like his actions that like the true duty of a man, you know what I mean, is to like, wage war upon his own society, you know what I mean? But like a lover's war, like in that, like, you know, he'll just like, like just delve deeper and like, um, you know, just kind of like dissipate all the layers that are to like ultimately just reveal like the, the beloved to like, to him, like just humanity, you know what I mean? So, um, and I think that he really like set that up, uh, set those foundations for the generations to come, you know? So like he really like instilled, um, I think a level of like inspiration and honestly, like, just, like, resistance, like, you know what I mean, that uh, I think um, people necessarily weren't open to before, you know, uh, or necessarily, like, I think he really kind of changed perspective in terms of, like, what power is, and, like, what it can be, and what it can mean, you know, um, and I think, obviously, like, during that time period, like, you really saw, like, a big shift in terms of, like, uh, you know, like, like, what power meant for the Black community, like, you know what I mean, in terms of, like, self-determination, like, their own, like, you know, um, and like, and then what that is like moving forward, you know? Um, so, but like, obviously like with the movement today, uh, I think that, you know, obviously like, like the sixties and seventies, you know, you have many different like branches that do things very differently, you know? Um, and obviously like, I think that if we're having like an honest conversation, so a lot of our, like a lot of the times, like we can be our biggest, our own biggest enemies um, in terms of like progress and uh, like, you know, just like genuine, tangible change, you know what I mean? Because I think a lot of the times that um, activists let their own like ego sometimes uh, taint their own, um, you know, like actions and uh, like even like, you know, sub subconsciously, like without even realizing it, like sometimes, you know, um, but I think sometimes I can really like, you know, ultimately prevent uh, the things from happening that like that truly need to happen, like in, in terms of like legislations being changed and, you know, us like really putting pressure on um, like, you know, our elected officials in terms of like, you know, really getting uh, like, a, a, like a move on, like in, a, in terms of like, uh, you know, uh, the circumstances that we're seeing every day, like in our communities, you know, because I think that like, like King understood it, like we understand it now, like it's, it's a very like, it's an immediate, um, it's an immediate problem, it's an immediate issue, you know what I mean? Like it always has been. And um, like, obviously like this has been like, uh, like, a war of like 400 years, you know what I mean? So like, like who are like, who are we like to stop now? Like, you know what I mean? And so I think that that's why like, it's like, it's very inspiring to see like, kind of like the energy that like my generation is bringing like to the table, you know? But um, I think it's really important that like we take the time to like educate ourselves as well because we're coming up in such a polarized environment and atmosphere, you know what I'm saying? Where like, it, it really is hard to, um, 
you know, find truth and like in the media and like, you know what I mean? Like, it's all kind of like given to you instead of like, uh, you know, I think um, what should be encouraged is like, you know, people like taking information and like and, and making, uh, you know, something uh, like, you know, just uh, something of it, of it from like themselves, you know what I'm saying? Um, and like, you know, just really encouraging, like just more like conversations, you know, because I think that like at the end of the day, um, you know, I think like something that like I like really admire somebody back then, like Fred Hampton for, like he really understood that, like, you know, um, like at the end of the day, like, dude, like we're all getting screwed by the same people, like oh, we're all getting screwed by the same systems. Like it's it, like at the end of the day, like, you know, um, but like, you know, they had us over here, like, you know, like the black, like black people, they got black people hating over here, like hating hillbillies and like, et cetera, so forth and so forth. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and so as long as they have us like fighting each other, like, you know, like what's really going to happen, you know? So yeah. But, yeah. The use of divide and conquer is, is not an old tactic. It's, 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 oh, uh, it's been, I mean, it's a new, not a new tactic. It's, it's, it's an old tactic. And like, and you still see that today all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's why like, I thought it was like kind of like a joke. Like if anyone like really don't like doesn't think that like, you know, programs such as like Cointel like are still like Cointel Pro is still going on today. Like they're wilding, like, you know, like obviously there's just like that giant report like over this past summer that revealed like, you know, the FBI was all up in like uh, BLM's business, you know, the entire school. And like, obviously like we had experiences like where like people like we were showing up were like, like clearly, like clearly were cops. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like it was just ridiculous. Um, Yeah, so like, um, that's definitely like a, a very real thing like you know and like people following you getting information about you like it's just like it's just something like you have to be like very like cautious of you know what i'm saying um but like i think like obviously like you know again like with the movement like we kind of just have to like remind ourselves one like what and uh, this is also like important for my generation too because i think sometimes we can get so caught up in the energy and like the atmosphere of you know we have to remind ourselves that like i always encourage my peers to like love black people like more than you hate cops you know because sometimes I feel like you know just like out there when you're protesting like I don't know people can get so caught up in like just seeing like f12 and all that and, like you know like and I'm rocking with that all day like you know but like we really have to like remind ourselves like you know like what we're genuinely here for like and you know like that's why it's always like really good to like root yourself in a genuine love for the people you know so I think as long as we do that um and truly like keep like a, a clear and open mind in terms of like what's going on in our societies today because like obviously like you know, like if we're really gonna get something done, like 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 solidarity is the only means, you know. So, um, and I think that like you know, just in our time and age, you know, like you're really seeing, um, I don't know, just kind of like the world coming to a place where like we really don't have any other options, like you know what I mean? Um, like that, like the time is like right now, like you know what I'm saying? Uh, like there really isn't any other like uh, like we don't even have like you know another second to waste, and like you know. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think like for us, like it's just keeping our heads forward, you know, keeping uh, like making sure that we're, we're, and also like just being there for each other. You know what I mean? I think that like, you know, I'm like a big believer in like black power and like black love, you know what I mean? Like, and like, we need to see like more of that and more emphasis on that, you know? Um, Cause obviously like, I understand that like the black struggle is like, you know, obviously like highlighted a lot and whatever, you know, but obviously like, black love needs to be as well. And like, you know, going back to kind of like your conversation on the white liberal, you know what I mean? I think that like, in a lot of ways today, like you still see that being one of the biggest walls to progress for like the black community. Like if I'm just being like, completely honest with you, you know, um, like I'll just give you like, like we could have an entire conversation about that pretty much, you know, um, but like just to give you like a very like personal like, experience like that I've had with it, you know. Um, so for example, like here in Charleston, um, there's like a young black man, he was like uh, in his thirties, early thirties named Jamal Sutherland, you know, who uh, was murdered. Um, he was a, uh, 
yeah, like just murdered in his jail cell, just like in cold blood, you know? Um, they were going to like take him to his hearing, but the thing it was a hearing wasn't uh, mandatory, you know? So like he didn't have to like attend it, but like his story was just to give a little bit of context, you know? Um, so like he had checked himself into like a mental health institution, right? So like, cause like he knew that like, he needed help, all that kind of stuff, you know? Um, but he was like a really great guy. Like obviously like we've had like plenty of conversations with the family and like, you know, I've like really got to like, know like who Jamal was, you know? Um, and you know like he just like got like he like really loved his mom like really loved like the lord all that kind of stuff but like really uh just like got to a place like where he knew that like he needed just like to go get help you know so that's why he checked himself into that like institution um but like i was like like so like but there was a day on Gen so this was like january 5th um 2021 so there was the incident uh where you know like a little fight broke out um you know but like obviously like in in most cases you know like what would happen is like the um, the police will be called there, like, they'll, they'll settle things, they'll handle the situation, but then, like, obviously, like, that's kind of, like, that's part of the reason that uh, those individuals are, like, at those places, in, like, in, like, you know, in the first place, so um, it's not, like, you know, uh, there's not necessarily, like, an arrest involved, like, a lot of the times, you know, um, but, like, actually, like, the institution decided to arrest Jamal Sutherland for God knows what reason, you know, so, like, this is kind of how he ended up getting arrested, just to give you a little bit of context, you know, um, so like he has like uh, he had mental health problems, but like literally like, there was a video of him while he's getting like taken in, um, you know, and he was like, hey, like you didn't bring me like my rights or anything like that, like you know, like what's like really going on here. So like, um, but obviously like you know, just like there were just times where he just like had bad like just bad states, you know. So like, but but other times like you know he was like very much there, like you know what I mean? Like he was like very much like a, a human being, you know, which I think like we always need to like emphasize, because um, like obviously like I think like in a time and age like where like we just see so much uh, like. Um, death in terms of like black bodies around us you know we can come very like desensitized to that so I think like it's really important to just em emphasize the, the humanity of like each and every soul um like that's been taken from us you know um so like but like he really had like a love for the lord you know so like uh like he's just like and you, like you can watch the video like on youtube like you know of them murdering him um but like you know like he was just in there like screaming like uh like you're like yelling hallelujah and he already like was like had his hands behind his back um like you know in handcuffs when they went in there and they just went in there and started tasing him um and then like, you know, when the other cop put like, you know, her knee in his neck and he was like screaming, I can't breathe, like while the other guy was like tasting him simultaneously. And then like to top it off, like they put a bag over his head and suffocated him. And like literally it took them like 17 or 15 minutes, like before they called it EMT. So like he was just dead, like there before they even like, you know, could do anything. So, um, but like, yeah, so that happened. And obviously like we were very, we put a lot of pressure on, um, the the Charleston County Jail um it's called Alcannon Detention Center right like we put a lot of pressure like this is like where the uh, incident happened we put a lot of pressure on them to release the video immediately right um but like you know that obviously took a lot of work and um took a lot of calls took a lot of mobilizing took a lot of organizing but like I think around so this happened in January right um and so it, we're talking like April at this point this is like late April that they finally come around and and post this video you know but this time like they hadn't really like like they hadn't really like fired the cops they hadn't really put them on leave they hadn't really like no nothing like that you know um yeah and like so like you know at, at this point like we're thinking like okay like maybe this is going to get picked up like you know by the media maybe this is going to like really get going to get, get something going you know um and like you know like uh, news stations like uh, MSNBC and like CNN actually like you know reported on it you know but like it was just like an article it wasn't necessarily like uh intelligent format you know so um you know like uh there wasn't like you know necessarily like as, as many eyes on it as like we that's like you know we're hoping for there to be but we were contacted by cnn um 
you know, like, cause uh, they were hoping to like, you know, get some footage of like, of like the organizers of us um, and like, maybe just like, you know, a demonstration, you know? So uh, like, you're just like, you know, get like, kind of like report on like the situation, what was going on. So um, like, you know, but we already had like a demonstration like plan anyways, like this, this wasn't like, you know, because of CNN or anything like that. Uh, but like, obviously like, you know, the guy gets there and he interviews all of us, you know, um, and obviously like we're thinking like, this is gonna be like a big chance to like, uh, I don't know, like really like emphasize like um, like the, like the failures of Charleston like to their like to the community like you know what I mean like on a national level because I think like a lot of times truly like like there's a lot of like really bad things going on here you know what I mean and it just totally gets brushed over like in the national eye you know so um, I really thought that was like a big opportunity for that but you know like and like they like they follow us the whole like protest um honestly like there's like. I don't know like just like like your your typical like uh, like you know police like. Uh, you know, kind of just terrorizing us, but like, you know, like it wasn't anything like, no like fight program or anything like that, but it was because that like, there wasn't any like, you know, altercations or any like physical, like, you know, and like interactions between like us and the police that nothing aired on CNN. Like, you know what I'm saying? Um, so like, again, like- going so back, had, it, had it turned into a situation right, where there was a direct confrontation like, and they would have covered it, right? Right, and like, I don't like when, uh, I think sometimes, you know, um, white media outlets like CNN can like sometimes use black pain as like just fodder for, for their for their news agents. Like, uh, um you know like for their audiences to consume like like but like to their advantage and like to their own like political like means you know so uh, I don't appreciate that and like it definitely doesn't like do anything for the black community like and obviously like yo we saw like Joe Biden get elected last year and like you know you didn't see him call any Black Lives Matter activists, you didn't see nothing, but he had so many promises to us. We put that boy in office, like quit playing with me. Like, you know, like, I don't know. Um, Stop playing in my face, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, like, yeah, so like, I mean, I think that like, you just see a continuation of that always. And even now, like I, like, I hate to say it, but like, you see like some of our own, like being like big, like bears of progress as well, like cop Mala Harris. Like, I, I'm sorry, like, that's what I call her, like cop <laughs> Mala Harris, you know, like, um, yeah, like, uh, and so I don't know. I think like that's never like that's never never really changed, you know. So I think that's something that we're just gonna have to keep in mind. But that's why it's really important now. I think something like for my generation, like has been like social media, right? Like uh, like like Black Twitter, like that's really big, right? Like I don't know, like you have like these like spaces, right? And that like where you have um these underserved and underrepresented communities, like right, like that have now have the means um to put their voices, their stories, their experiences, like right, like just like out there, like you know what I mean? Um. You know what I mean? So I think it's like putting an entirely different, like, uh, you know, uh, perspective on like the, the conversation, you know, and how people engage. Yeah, and, it, and it's allowing the people who are most impacted and, and who are able to really give voice to the concerns yeah. and the issues to be able to get them amplified. Right. And so I think that's like, it's really important to like, you know, to like tell us, like, again, tell the stories that need to be told. And something I think that like King was like really great with, because um, obviously he understood the whole point of like nonviolent civil disobedience, right? Which is to like highlight the like the violence and aggressiveness of the oppressor, right? That was the whole thing. Um, and something else that King did like really well, you know, is in, is in, uh, sorry, um, integrate the use of like media at the time, like, right? Which was like, I think really like the first time you really saw that now in history, um, you know, like to use that to like, to poke at like the white liberal consciousness, like at the country, you know what I'm saying? Because like now like you like, and obviously like you got hella criticism from that from like brothers like Malcolm and some like, um, like, you know, more radical people like, uh, but like, you know, I think that you, d you definitely saw like um, times where that, that worked, you know what I mean? Like, because you know, like, uh, 
unfortunately like now like pe- people are like well not like not unfortunately but like now people were able to see it you know like and um and so like it didn't really feel like it was just like uh kind of just like in this like imagine like imagine land like in the south you know what I mean like not like they really saw like I don't know like what was going on like in their in their own like I don't know um country so like but I think he did like a really good job of like you know like using that to put pressure on like politicians in order to get uh like legislation passed you know what I mean um and and so I think like right now like with social media and et cetera like you're really seeing a continuation of that um you know because like now we're able to like obviously like the big thing for now are cell phones so like you know the power of that is like all within our hands so yeah uh, there was a point that you raised about the importance of using uh, media and, and and recognizing the ways in which media can be used to to push certain narratives. Uh, and you were talking about the ways in which, you know, you cover a news story about Black Lives Matter and so much of what you just talked about, whether it was the uh, the efforts made to provide support and resources to community uh, through mutual aid or, or, or access to Wi-Fi hotspots and, and interconnectivity that make it easier for folks to live their lives. That doesn't become the conversation or the centering of the discussion. What, what gets centered is a conflict between protesters and police that ultimately results in some sort of uh, aggressive action, maybe violence. Uh, and in some ways, they did the same thing with trying to point out elements of uh, of, of King's uh, nonviolent direct action and calling it extreme. It, there's a, there's an, a section here where I'll go ahead and start reading that. It says, you speak of our activity in Birmingham as extreme. At first, I was rather disappointed that fellow clergymen would see my nonviolent efforts as those of an extremist. I began thinking about the fact that I stand in the middle of two opposing forces in the Negro community. One is a force of complacency made up of a part of Negroes who as a result of long years of oppression are so drained of self-respect and a sense of somebodyness that they have adjusted to segregation. And in a part, a few middle-class Negroes who because of a degree of academic or economic security and because in some ways they profit by segregation have become insensitive to the problems of the masses. The other force is one of bitterness and hatred and it comes perilously close to advocating violence. It is expressed in the various black nationalist groups that are springing up across the nation, the largest uh, and best known uh, being Elijah Muhammad's Muslim movement, nourished by the Negroes frustration over the continued existence of racial discrimination. This movement is made up of people who have lost faith in America, who have absolutely repudiated Christianity and have concluded that it's the white man, that the white man is an incorrigible devil. I have tried to stand between those two forces saying that we need emulate neither the do-nothingness of the complacent nor the hatred and despair of the black nationalists. For there is a more excellent way of love and nonviolent protest. I am grateful to God that through the influence of the Negro church and the way of nonviolence became an integral uh, part of our struggle. If this philosophy had not emerged, by now many streets of the South would, I am convinced, be flowing with blood. And I am further convinced that if our white brothers dismiss as rabble rousers and outside agitators, those of us who employ nonviolent direct action, and if they refuse to support our nonviolent efforts, millions of Negroes will out of frustration and despair seek solace and security in black nationalist ideologies, a development that would inevitably lead to a frightening racial nightmare. Oppressed people cannot remain oppressed forever. The yearning for freedom eventually manifests itself. And that is what has happened to the American Negro. 
Something within has reminded him of his birthright of, fr of freedom. And something without has reminded him that it can be that it can be gained. Consciously or unconsciously, he has been caught up by the zeitgeist and with his black brothers of Africa and his brown and yellow brothers of Asia, South America and the Caribbean, the United States Negro is moving with a sense of great urgency toward the promised land of racial justice. If one recognizes this vital urge that has engulfed the, the Negro community, one should readily understand why public demonstrations are taking place. The Negro has, met, has many pent up resentments and latent frustrations and he must release them. So let him march, let him make prayer pilgrimage to the city hall, let him go on freedom rides and try to understand why he must do so. If, he, if his repressed emotions are not released in nonviolent ways, they will seek expression through violence. This is not a threat, but a fact of history. So I have not said to my people, get rid of your discontent. Rather, I have tried to say that this normal and healthy discontent can be channeled into the creative outlet of nonviolent direct action. And now this approach is being termed extremist. In many ways, King was confronting the same attitudes, the same perspectives and ideologies that many in the current iteration of the modern movement for civil rights are, are encountering on a regular basis, attitudes and behaviors that push back against even the remembering of this history in its valid and true sense. So I ask you um, again, Mr. Whiteside, what, what, what from your perspective, uh, for those who would say of this current moment uh, with, Black, with Black Lives Matter, with other social movements demanding a fuller telling of our history, uh, and an understanding of the context in which we find ourselves, what would you say to them? And how is it that you would uh, frame your your understanding of the, the current state of the movement and what it is that we hope to gain? Okay, um, well, first of all, I would just say that it's important for people to keep in mind that I think just like it's a trend like throughout American history that like, you know, white protest is considered patriotic and like now like black protest is considered like terroristic, you know what I mean? And I always get like, there's definitely not like an equal playing field in terms of like who gets to do what and how they're treated like while doing so, you know what I mean? Um, so, but I, I'm, and I think people really have to take that into account in terms of like, you know, how the movement is projected today, like, you know, on their very television screens, you know what I'm saying? Because, you know, a lot, like I said, like all, all chapters were completely differently and have like, you know, different like perspectives on like how to do things, you know? But I think that like we all for sure want like, you know, self-determination for black people like you know what i mean and like we want like economic rights like you know like i think truly like everyone can like just kind of agree on the term like all power to like all the people like you know like we really want to see that and um yeah and like i think that like we would like really also like like to see some like you know uh so political like political power be gained as well like you know what i mean like that will hopefully translate into like economic power you know um but like, and I think like a really like big thing as well that like we're all really like focused on right now is like education because that is such a huge thing that like, you know, um, you know, if the enemy like is educating like, you know, your son, like what, what you're gonna do? Like, you know what I mean? So like, I think that's like, unfortunately like us as black Americans have to go out of our own way to like teach our own history, like or teach ourselves our own history, you know, but like, Honestly, like, like, so be it, you know what I mean? Like we come like from like a very long line of like of people who have like, just like kind of like just hauled ass like throughout this entire fight, you know what I mean? Like they've never like 
let any kind of constraints like stop them from like going out of their way to like learn how to read or like you know or going out of their way to like take the next step like the next uh step to self-determination and like for freedom for black people you know what i mean so i think that like those values are still like they that is so urgent that those need to be like very like ingrained and like in every chapter and in every like um like interpretation of like this movement today you know what i mean and i think that like um you see like do you definitely see a projection of that in the current moment and so i think like it's just important to remind people like to always just like go back like and, and, and educate themselves and like but go beyond that because it's more than just like you know anything that you'll be able to like get off of like of a page you know like go out and like into those communities for yourself you know like go gain that like uh you know introspective and like experience like for yourself like you know what i mean um you know because like truly like i think like that's like how like genuine change is like is going to come like because like obviously like people's like perspectives are just like based on like their own like life experiences you know um and i think like sometimes like whether like we admit it or not, like when we like, we educate ourselves like by like, you know, like reading things like by book or online, you know, like even though like that education is with us, like I don't even know if like if it ever like really like resonates into like our perception of reality, if that makes sense, you know? Um, so I think that's like why it's always like, you know, important to like go out there and like, you know, get in those communities and like, and see it for yourself. Like, you know what I mean? And like, and have those conversations with the people and like not, not like, not listen to like, um, you know what I mean? Like not listen to interpret, not listen to anything, but like listen to understand, like hear them for like what they have to say and like what they have like, you know, had to like uh, ensue like for the, like, you know, um, for this like, you know, just like just, I don't know, like the past like generational curses that have kind of just like been like forced upon like our communities, you know? Um, and so like, I think like anyone who's willing to do that will kind of just like have, like just like again, like have like through having a clear and open mind, we'll just like truly see what our genuine intention is and like, you know, what we want. Um, in, in terms of going forward, so. A very beautifully stated and powerful call to action. I really appreciate uh, you expressing and, 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 and engaging me with this conversation today, Isaiah Whitesides. I am super excited about the future uh, and grateful to be in community with you and in struggle with you as we help to bring about the world that we hope to see. Um, the world that King wanted to bring to fruition uh, that we have inherited and the legacy that we're carrying forward. So grateful to be in struggle and in community with you. Thank you so much for all that you are doing and your contributions to the work there in South Carolina. Isaiah Whitesides, uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to, to connect and communicate with you. I am Timothy Hughes, uh, grateful to be in community with all of you and looking to continue to get into good trouble. There was our extended discussion with Timothy Hughes and Elijah Whitesides about how the situation today relates to the situation described by Dr. King in his letter from a Birmingham jail. They continue to parallel the sentiments, challenges, and activities today with those Dr. King related in his letter. With that, I want you to do your research for Dr. King's letter, that letter from a Birmingham jail, because Timothy and Elijah only touched on a small portion of the letter. It's easy to find, and while it is 10 pages, I want you to take the time to read it. You'll be educated and inspired by the words of Dr. King. Then I want you to consider what you just heard today. And remember, you can come back and listen to this again and again, right where you're listening to it now. I want you to consider the words of both Timothy Hughes and Elijah Whitesides and how many parallels there are 
and how many things have not changed. How legislators across the South and across the country are still marginalizing and oppressing communities of color and limiting the right to vote. The legislators in Tennessee just gerrymandered a voting block of African Americans right out of existence in Nashville. And in Alabama, they consolidated the black vote into one district, limiting their representation. In Virginia, and we will talk more about Virginia next week, the governor has set up a hotline for parents to call and rat on teachers teaching the truth about black history. And then there is Minneapolis. I mean, good Lord. After George Floyd, really? The Minneapolis police just just last weekend shot an innocent black man who was sleeping on his cousin's couch in his cousin's apartment and think that because he had a legally owned handgun, they were justified to kill him. So whenever someone says Black Lives Matter needs to go slow, well, that is what those clergy were telling Dr. King almost 60 years ago. How much effort is it going to take? How much time is it going to take before justice and equality are received? Well, with that, Please share, celebrate, and honor Black history. And to finish this extended show, I went into my iTunes collection and pulled out one of my favorite and inspirational songs from the 60s. A song Dr. King would have heard. And as you listen, I want you, in your own mind, to adjust the words from change gonna come to change Gotta come. Here's Sam Cook. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know a change gonna come. Oh, yes, it will. It's been too hard living, but I'm afraid to die. Cause I don't know what's up there. Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh yes it will Keep telling me don't hang around It's been a long, 
But I know a change gonna come Oh, yes it will Then I go to my brother And I say, brother, help me please But he winds up knocking me But I know 